last couple months, you know that we're going through the book of Colossians on Wednesday nights, and it's been wonderful. We've been able to spend our summer in beautiful Colossae, even if uh, maybe your imagination's not that amazing. And you say, I still know where I am. I'm in the prairies, smack dab in the middle of the prairies. But thank God we are where God put us, and uh, in Colossians, we've been finding out some wonderful things about Christ, wonderful things about the church, wonderful things about ourselves in Christ. And I love the great mystery that he says, this is the great mystery that the world's been waiting to hear, Christ in us, the hope of glory. When you know that Christ is in you, you've got a new self, and you put aside that old self, you lay it aside, you put on the new self, and that new self is renewed to look like your creator. That new self looks more like him every day, and the more and more you begin to look like him, the less and less you see differences based on race or culture or age or, or class, these things fade away because the Bible says in Colossians 3, Christ is all and Christ is in all. Thank God. So those distinctions go away. So we're able to hang out with people that normally we would have nothing to do with. And we're able not just to, to spend time with them, but to, to realize that we love these people just as Christ loved us. We're able to forgive just as he forgave. And that's not because we're just really good copycats. The Bible does say to be an imitator, but the, the secret, secret sauce in the whole thing that you're not just, is, is that you're not just looking at Jesus and saying, I want to copy what you do, that he gave you his spirit. He doesn't just say, I want to teach you how to love. He loves right through you. He doesn't just say, I want to teach you how to forgive. He's able to pour that forgiveness inside of your heart so that you're forgiven much and you can also forgive much. Thank God for the goodness of God that he doesn't just say, follow me, but he empowered you to follow him. He didn't just tell his disciples, do your best to be like me, but he breathed into them. And he said, wait, for when the Holy Spirit really comes, and he was go and says, you're going to be clothed with power from on high. And you will be my witnesses from here, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You know, it's a wonderful thing to know God doesn't expect you to do anything he hasn't equipped you to do. It doesn't mean that you, um, doesn't mean you'll always feel equipped. You've got to do some of this by faith and say, you know what, I, I may not know that I'm equipped, but I know by the word of God that he's prepared me as a vessel. He's prepared me as an instrument. He's prepared me as a believer. I've got his spirit inside of me. I can do this. I can love the unlovable. I can unforgive. The, I can <laughs> unforgive. I can forgive the unforgivable. I can do the impossible, but it's not me, it's Jesus Christ in me. In Colossians chapter 4, of course, he's talked to every segment of society. He's talked to slaves, he's talked to free men, he's talked to barbarians, Scythians, Jews, and Greeks. They're all in equal terms. Everybody's equal in this game. And in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer. big thought to be devoted to something, devoted to something like prayer. That doesn't just mean find some time in your schedule to pray. I think when it says devote yourselves to prayer, that should be a big thing in your life, to be devoted to someone. Have you ever said to your spouse, those of you that are married, have you ever said to your spouse, I'm completely devoted to you, and then what you meant by that was I might find five minutes in my day to spend with you? I know for my spouse, that would not be acceptable. Because that's just saying one thing but not living it out. To be devoted 
means that's the priority. That's a big priority in your life. It says devote yourself to prayer, or in other words, give yourself over to it, that uh, you stay in an attitude of prayer. Another place in the scripture says pray without ceasing. That does not mean that every hour of the day, every minute of the day, you need to be on your knees because you've got things that you're doing, some for the Lord, some because he put you in a job and told you do your job and glorify me in that work. But in all these things, in all of these things, no matter where you are, don't hang up the phone. Leave that call open with God. Let him speak to you throughout the day and speak to him throughout the day. You may look crazy in Superstore talking to yourself, apparently to everybody else. You look like that crazy person pushing a cart with a couple of melons in the cart, and you're just talking into the air. But this is how a believer lives, in the presence of God himself. Jesus said, I don't, I say this almost every service, but Jesus said, I don't do anything unless he tells me to do it. I don't say it. I don't say anything unless he tells me to say it. How do you think God, how do you think Jesus knew what God wanted him to say, what God wanted him to do, if he wasn't constantly hearing and communicating with God, right? Or else this guy would have just been weird. I mean, he was weird to them. But can you imagine if Jesus said, I don't say anything unless the Father tells me to say it. I don't do anything unless he tells me to do it. And he only heard from God once a year. It would be a weird life, wouldn't it? Just been that strange mute who... Every now and then says something. We know he can talk, but he doesn't talk. We know he can move, but he doesn't move. Now, Jesus was always moving and speaking and acting, right? But he was doing it based on what the Father communicated to him. Now, you may say, well, that's Jesus, but this is me. But then he goes on and says, I want you to have the same relationship with the Father that I have. I want you to have the same relationship with the Holy Spirit that I have. He says, and I mean, if you doubt this, read John 15, 16, 17. Read what he says about your relationship with him, about your relationship with the Holy Spirit. He says, everything, I'm going to give you a helper. He will lead you and guide you into all truth. Everything he hears, he's going to communicate to you. Everything he hears, everything he hears, he's going to communicate to you. He's not leaving anything out. He's not redacting anything. Everything he hears, he'll communicate. That's a big thought. So in all these things, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well. That God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So this very mystery that he's talking about he's named earlier that Christ has come to dwell among us to dwell in us not just the Jews but the Gentiles also that we all get a piece of this that he's opened his arms up wide and said whoever will come may come what a wonderful thing but he says I've been in prison for this gospel I'm preaching this gospel but it's the very reason I'm in these chains some people will tell you yeah all that mystery, all that, all the revelation that Paul got, he got while he was in prison. Now here it says he was in prison because of that revelation. You know, sometimes, like we said on Sunday, sometimes there's an attempt to stop you from preaching what you know, stop you from living what you know, stop, stop you from saying what you know. Jesus said, I shouldn't just say sometimes because Jesus said every time the word is preached, every time it's sown in your heart, persecution arises because of the word. Paul says, I'm in chains because of this, but it hasn't stopped me. There's another place where he says to Timothy, he says, I'm in chains, but the word is unchained. 
They can't chain the word. They can't chain what I'm speaking. For most of you that know this, the Apostle Paul had heard from Jesus, you're going to speak about me in Rome. You're going to talk to Caesar about me. So the Apostle Paul does not just march straight to Rome. He does something quite ingenious. He goes to Jerusalem where he's bound to get arrested. And the Lord's already told him, you are going to be at some point bound up, put into some chains, but you will speak before me in Rome. So he has several opportunities throughout his ministry to get off the hook. There's one guy that said, you know, listen, we can throw this thing, I can throw this case out right now. We could be done with this. Another guy says, if, 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 I, if you tried to offer me a bribe, I mean, one little bribe gets you free. We'll let you go. He says, no. I appeal to Caesar, which is stupid if you weren't planning on going to Rome because you could have been off. You could have been doing your own thing, but he knows if I keep appealing to Caesar, I will eventually make my way to Rome. And he's so clear and he's so confident that God wants him to go to Rome that even on the way to Rome when he's shipwrecked, he says, no, this is not the end. You're all going to live. Cheer up. God said, I'm going to Rome, so we're going to survive this. Snake bites him. He throws it in the fire and says, maybe a poisonous snake. But God said, I'm going to Rome, so we're not stopping here. People try to stone him. He goes back and does the same thing because God said, I'm going to Rome. So in all these things, he's been imprisoned, but his voice hasn't been imprisoned. His word hasn't been imprisoned. In fact, God's word has never been chained. He continues to preach and he continues to minister this. But isn't it a powerful thing? As much as we put the Apostle Paul and guys like him on a pedestal, isn't it wonderful to know that even him, even this guy, the great apostle, said, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me. Sometimes we put people and we put the you know, preachers or whatever, you know, whatever your hero is, whether it be an athlete or an actor or a preacher or, or a, a military person or whoever, if you've made heroes out of these people, you put them on a pedestal and you say, well, some of these people are spiritual superheroes and whatever God tells them to do, they're bound to do, but a guy like me, I really can't do it. I need more prayer than they do. We all need somebody praying for us. Every one of us. Sometimes God tells you to pray for somebody and you purposely put it off because you figure they're, they're just way above your pay grade. They're above your level spiritually. Why would they need a, somebody like me to pray for them? But the Apostle Paul says, I need you to pray for me that I could preach, that I could speak, that a door would be open for me. He says he's not talking about a door out of prison. He's talking about a door for the word. Isn't that wonderful? A door for the word. He says this. Here's what this door looks like. Once this door is open, we're going to be able to speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I've been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Have you ever talked to somebody about this great message, this good news that Jesus gave us, and you seem to be hitting a wall? They're not understanding a thing you're saying. There seems to be like a great barrier in communication, like you're speaking a different language. You're both speaking English, but a different dialect of it. Because as much as I say this, you're not getting the concept. Have you ever felt like that? Right, exactly. Well, the scripture says that in this case, people that, when, when you're talking to people that just as clear as you make it, they're not getting it, or you don't have the words to say, and you say, I don't know how to get this out so that they'll understand it. 
The Bible says that the God of this world has blinded their eyes. He's not talking about that God. He's talking about that little G, not big G. That little guy who likes to think he's running the show. The spirit of this world, of this age. Not of, not of, when he says of this world, he doesn't mean the planet. He doesn't mean that Satan rules the planet. He means that when he talks about the world, he's talking about the world system, the way the world thinks, which is still not submitted to the kingdom of God. And he says that God, that little G God, has blinded their eyes so that they would not believe. But in the next verse, next few verses, he says, but God, who spoke light into the darkness, has shone light into our hearts to reflect the glory of God in the face of Christ. He goes on to say we have this treasure in little earthen vessels, in jars of clay. We have a treasure inside this unseeming container so that this power will be seen not from us, but from God. That's a really cool thing. But sometimes we say, well, maybe if I could just bring this person to church, they'd finally get it. And I understand that, and that's good. Maybe if I could book an appointment with somebody more spiritual than me, they would get what I'm trying to say. Did you know that God made you a minister of reconciliation? Sometimes we just say, well, this person is just so much better at it than me. But look, here's the prayer that you can believe this for yourself as well. You can pray this for yourself. God, open this door for me to speak that I may say what you want me to say and I, I proclaim this mystery. Do you know what a mystery is? I'm not talking about Sherlock Holmes. I'm not talking about Blue's Clues or whatever. <laughs> right? I'm, a map, I'm, a map, I'm, a, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the biblical definition of mystery, which is something that's been covered. The Bible talks about revealing mysteries. In fact, Daniel said, I serve a God who reveals mysteries. In fact, that's what his, that's what his unbelieving pagan, well, I don't want to call them friends, pagan bosses said about him that we know you serve a God who reveals mysteries. The book of Revelation is all about things that were shrouded until the end of days in which Jesus uncovered it so that we may understand some things we didn't understand before. What do you think about when you think of the word apocalypse? What, what comes into your mind immediately? What pops into your head when you hear apocalypse? <laughs> right? Not fun. Well, Spiro's got it right. Spiro and Tina are Greek, right? So they get it. The word apocalypse or apocalypsis is not, it does not mean nuclear bomb. It doesn't mean end of the world. Do you know what it means? To uncover, to reveal. Because the book of Revelation was not a book of doom and gloom, but rather a revealing of things that had been hidden. And in this mystery that we're talking about, it was the mystery of Christ in us. It was this mystery that, that Jesus didn't just come for the house of Israel, but he came to open up the whole world to the gospel, that anybody, anybody who wanted to could come to him and be saved. What a mystery, what a wonderful thing. And it says before this, this mystery was hidden. It was hidden in ages past. People didn't understand it. They weren't allowed to see what you can see. Peter writes that prophets in the Old Testament would prophesy about the Messiah, and then they'd start looking in their scrolls and try to find out who this guy is and will I be alive to see him they said 
they looked and made careful inquiries, trying to find who this guy was, what time he was living in. It says, but it's been revealed to us that they were prophesying for our benefit. That the things they spoke were for us, to whom this mystery has been revealed. In our time, it's been revealed to us through Jesus Christ and through his spirit. And he goes on to say things in which angels long to look. What a powerful thought. The things that God has unveiled for you are things that are so beautiful that angels wish they could understand them. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. This is good news. Have you ever felt like people just aren't getting it? Or maybe you're not explaining it right? Have you ever felt like you just don't have the chops to tell people about Jesus? Sometimes it's a matter of their own blindness, and sometimes it's just a matter of our old tongue feeling tied up, and I just don't know what to say. But he says, here's what I need you to do. Pray for me that I may communicate this mystery, that I may do it clearly, that an open door, that there be an open door of utterance for me, that I be able to speak as I'm supposed to speak, that I may make it clear this mystery to everybody that I'm supposed to talk to that I may make it clear in the way I speak. Even Paul said, I need somebody to pray for me. Then he goes on to say this. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. In the literal original language, it says buying up the opportunities, redeeming the time is maybe something you've heard before. Buying back the time, buying back those opportunities. This translation says, making the most of the opportunity you have. You know, often we're, we're looking for these doors to open. And we just think they're going to be, ah, this magical moment where angels surround you. And, and they put on a light show. And, and somebody in the mall just starts to glow. And you know, that's the person I'm supposed to talk to. But all of a sudden, you're nervous, right? But all of a sudden... You just think, oh, I'm going to go into a trance. My eyes are going to roll back into the back of my head. I'm going to walk over to them, and something's going to control me, and I'm just going to talk to them without knowing that I'm talking to them, and they're going to fall on the knees and say, what must I do to be saved? And boy, wasn't that easy. Right? But that's not usually how it happens. I used to always read, I've told you this, I used to always read in the book of Acts chapter 8 about Philip and go, why not me? Because Philip goes up to this guy in a chariot, and the guy goes, hey, nice to see you. You know, this, he's, just, he's in the desert, runs up, meets this chariot, and the guy says, I'm reading something. If only there were someone to explain it to me. <laughs> Philip's like, all right, here I am. What are you reading? Oh, I'm reading the book of Isaiah. It's talking about this suffering servant guy who's killed and but you know that he's doing it for our sake and all of this he goes could somebody tell me who this guy is why yes yes I could Philip tells him about him. why that's Jesus they get in the chariot he tells him about it. he explains it to him then this guy says hey there's a body of water there what's to stop me from being baptized Philip says matter of fact nothing is let's do it right now I'm like God if I had these opportunities all the time Thousands would be coming to you every week. Just walk down the street. Hey, buddy, 
I've been reading this Bible that I found in a hotel room. Want to know about the Messiah? Maybe you could tell me about him. By the way, there's a swimming pool. Think we could use it for a baptism? Sure, no problem. You know how Philip got into that situation? He started walking. Holy Spirit comes to him and says, an angel comes to him and says, start walking down that road. There's an ominous phrase in my Bible that says, this was a desert road. It's like a 50-mile road. Seriously, 50 miles of desert. And God doesn't, you know, God doesn't say, and when you get to this GPS location, your iPhone will beep. And then you'll know to stop and wait. And I'm going to send the chariot. No, he just says, start walking, Phil. And Philip has to go, okay. Now. And he just starts walking down the road. And I'm, I'm trusting he bought, brought some water because you never know. And there's bandits on the road, Lord. I mean, what, would you just give me some more info? And he says, no, just start walking down the road. And then there's a chariot. And the chariot doesn't have a, a Jew or a Greek in it. It has an Ethiopian guy. Maybe this might be Philip's first encounter with an Ethiopian guy. Not only an Ethiopian guy, but he's a rich Ethiopian guy in a chariot, like the rolls of the day, you know. And, and Philip's just, the Holy Spirit says to Philip, run and catch the chariot. Okay. First of all, walk down a desert road. Okay, so let's put this in modern day context. God says to you, walk down. Highway 16 is way too easy. It's not a desert road. Yeah. All right, let's think of some side roads. All right, maybe 619 or something. Something down there that, you know, maybe is, that's not even a desert road. There's, there's enough traffic on these roads. But think about this. He picks a secondary, tertiary highway somewhere. Oh, God forbid, a gravel road. <laughs> Just tells you to walk. But Lord, there's no gas stations for a while. There's nothing. Just keep walking. All right? Can I at least drive? No, walk. Okay. And then imagine, finally imagine a, a nice car starts driving. And you're like, that's a nice car. And then he says, run and catch it. Well, what are you supposed to do? Just knock on the window like a crazy person? But you run and do that. You know, Philip didn't saunter up to the chariot. He ran up to it. How crazy do you look doing that? Running up in an area where there are bandits. And I'm sure that the eunuch, the assistant to Queen Candace, probably has a bodyguard who's probably got a bow and arrow or something, maybe a spear, that says, somebody starts chasing our chariot, skewer that man. <laughs> but he just trusts God and he goes to it. So all I say all that to say, we drool for these opportunities. Say, God, give me that opportunity where I could just go up to somebody and they would beg me to tell them. But you know, it always starts with you hearing that voice inside and say, just go, just trust me, just step out in faith. You know, in order to have those conversations, you've got to get into those conversations. So it says buy up the opportunities you have, which means you've got to make an effort. I want to remind you of what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, because sometimes we think open doors look like the easiest thing. That's why they're open doors. That, wow, that is just, oh, that's the most beautiful path. But he says in 1 Corinthians, 
He says, I'm going to stay here and minister for a wide door for effective service. Listen to that. There's been a wide door open for me for effective service, which means I'm not wasting my time. I'm going to do something. A wide door for effective service has opened towards me, and there are many adversaries. So if you thought the, the wide door meant it was a, just a simple, nice, pretty road, he says there's a wide door for effective service, and there's many adversaries. See, a lot of times we think when the water all seems to run downhill in one direction and seems like life just flows in this area, that that's the door God's opening for you. But listen, circumstance was never meant to be your indicator of the will of God. Never. Because there'd be so many people in the Bible that would have said, I'm, I'm not, I must not be in God's will because things have started to get hard. Or, you know, I, I don't know where I'm supposed to go because there's doors all over the place. He's given you his spirit that you may hear and know. Jesus said to you, I'm not going to call you slaves anymore. I'm going to call you friends. He says, the difference is a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. But I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. He's going to show you everything you need to know. You've got to know when there's an opportunity. Do you know those opportunities aren't going to always look golden at first? But you've got to hear that voice inside that says, go up and talk to that person. Go up and talk to them. Or uh, uh, just, I mean, he says make the most of every opportunity. He says buy back the time. I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of times where you're going to have to make the choice that I could let this go or I could seize it now. But I'm going to make the decision to stand up and say, no, I'm going to make the most of this opportunity. We all can beat ourselves up about the opportunities we've missed. I remember being in the Philippines with my future brother-in-law. He's my brother-in-law now, Matthew. And we had had some great meetings. I mean, there were just miracles and people getting born again all over the place. It was wonderful. It's just the most wonderful time. But we came back to the city. See, most of our ministry was taking place in the jungles. But we'd come back and stay in the city. And when we were in the city, we, we saw another white guy. It was just like another white guy. And this city was rare. I know it's not rare in Manila. I know it's not rare in Luzon, that area. But in, in this city, it was rare at the time to see another white dude. So this guy was just drawn to us because, hey, we stood out in the crowd. Where are you guys from? You're obviously not from here, right? And so we started talking to him, and this guy was, you know, he was rough. He was from Florida, and he basically come to the Philippines because he could live like a, a king and just do whatever he wanted. And, and uh, so that's what he was doing. And both of us were waiting for this moment. We were just waiting for him to say, why are you here? Because as soon as he says, why are you here? We can say, well, we're here to talk. We're, we're here to, to preach Jesus. We're here to tell people about Jesus. We're here to see blind eyes open. We're here to see the lame walk. We're here to see uh, those that, we, that don't know about the gospel. That we want to see their eyes open to the gospel and them to come. And, and we're here to see that in this nation. That's why we came all this way. That's why we paid all this money to get here. We waited for that. But that never before we ever had a chance to ask that question, something caught his attention and went away. And we both kicked ourselves and kicked ourselves. Because we could have at any point said, by the way, man, you know about Jesus. But we didn't. We were, make, we were waiting for that to be a little bit easier. <laughs> we were waiting for him to bring it up. And sometimes that's okay. But instead of listening to the Holy Spirit, we just kind of were waiting for a 
usual cue. We both went back to the hotel room. We were kicking ourselves, beating ourselves up. I finally said, Matthew, we can't keep doing this. This is not going to do us any good to feel guilty and to be just burdened with shame for the rest of our lives. I said, you know what let's do? Let's make this the fuel for tonight. Because that night we were going to go to a different village. I said, let's make this the fuel for tonight. That we're just not going to, we're never going to miss an opportunity like that again. Well, that night we had a wonderful evening. That night many people received Jesus. But you know what? We had to move on from the past and move to now. And say, you know what? I've missed opportunities. But whining about it and crying about it, it's not fixing it. It's not changing anything. You've got to move on and say, you know what? Where am I going now? What does God want me to do now? And how can I make the most of that opportunity? He says this. Let your speech always. Does always leave any room for anything else? Let your speech always be with grace. As though seasoned with salt. So that you should know how you should respond to each person. See, if you rely just on what you know up here. Just on the wisdom you have, it won't be enough. But if you let your speech be seasoned with the grace of God that doesn't just tell people what they're lacking, doesn't just tell people where they're wrong, but actually gives them the words of life that this is where you are, but this is where God wants you to be. This is who you are, but this is who God designed you to be. This is who you would be in Him. Yeah, that starts out with knowing that by, on my own, I am unworthy, I'm unfit, I'm unqualified, but through him I can be. Yes. That he died, that blood of Jesus is so precious that it cleanses me of all my unrighteousness. But he didn't just die for me. The Bible says he died for you and was raised for you that you may walk in newness of life. So the fact that he died put to death my old self. But the fact that he was raised gave me a new self. And that message of the gospel has got to be in everything. Because we can go around and tell people how wrong they are. But if there's no grace in it, it's a waste of time. You go pick at all the bad people in the world. Go get some signs and tell them how stupid they are and how messed up they are. But if you don't offer them the words of life, what good did you do them? You further condemned them without giving them the way of escape. You've shown them their guilt without showing them the answer to that guilt. But Jesus died for them. That's a big part. You know, and I know that there's Issues we need to stand up for, and I'm not saying back down on that. But I'm saying with every conversation, let it be seasoned with grace. You know, even with our own selves, even with our own group, sometimes it's so easy to keep each other accountable, right? Sometimes we use that like we're, we're the hall monitor for everybody else. But keep each other accountable just means we're supposed to point out when they're doing something stupid. God didn't really appoint you to do that. In fact, the Bible says encourage one another even more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Sometimes you've got to speak the truth in love and go, you know what? That's the wrong path. Give them a rope to hold on to. That's the wrong path, but you know what? You can get out of that. You know what? That's killing you. But here's what can give you life. You're bound right now, but you can be free. You know what I mean? 
So it says, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person, which apparently means that not everybody gets the same speech. Guys, come on. Don't you think people know when you're working from a script? Maybe some people don't. And I realize maybe you want a little bit of help. How do I, somebody help me out with some conversation starters. But can you trust the spirit of God inside of you just to flow in the gift of God and just say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to treat this person like they're a stat, another star on my chart. I'm not going to treat them like I'm doing a sales call call for vacuum cleaners. I'm going to treat them like they're a person who needs what everybody on the planet needs. And that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if they need that, then I can relate to them on some level. I don't care what they look like. I don't care where they came from. I don't care if I came from the suburbs and they're from the inner city, whatever, which, you know, we're in Lloydminster. Come on, be real. That doesn't even exist here. But even on some levels, we, we, we make these distinctions like that person I can't talk to because they won't relate to me. But you remember that Philip guy who was a nice little Greek Jew who goes up to a black eunuch who's not only a different race but he's a different class because Phil's no like you know prince he's just a commoner this guy's an assistant to the queen Philip grew up amongst Hellenistic Jews I mean he might have been he might have been a Greek that got born again or he might have grown up in a family that always believed in the one true God but he was in a Greek you know Hellenistic Jewish family but either way, this is not his culture. This is a different culture. Have you ever said that? Oh, I can't minister to those people. Thank God for fresh IE. <laughs> Thank God for fresh IE because he speaks the hip hop and I don't. So I can't talk to those teenagers. Why not? Why not? I mean, like, I mean, <laughs> I, I, let's move on. Or I'll, st- I'll stand up here for, for 10 minutes going, I mean, like, I mean, I mean, like, you can relate to anybody. With the grace of God, with the Spirit of God, you know what? There is a need you have. Have you ever seen somebody drowning and said, you know what? I should wait until somebody their age can save them. They're not going to accept my help. They're drowning. I think they might. No, no. It's not, it wouldn't be appropriate. They'd say, who are you to rescue me? I'm a teenager. You're 65. I, I'd rather die. It's not going to happen, right? Sometimes you think teenagers are that stupid, but they're not. The love of God is universal. The love of God translates in any place, in any culture. The love of God always communicates something. And Jesus could communicate to anybody, to his elders, to people that were younger, to women, to men. He reached them all. You've got the same spirit inside of you. Amen. Those doors are going to be open for you. And you know what? Here's what I'm seeing in this word. I'm seeing that you've got to pray that they be open. You've got to ask God to open doors for you. And then you've got to have the spirit of God to say, that's a door. Go for it and seize every opportunity. Buy back the time. Take every opportunity you have. Talk to Josh. Have you ever talked to Josh about his workplace? Did you know, Josh, can I use you for an example? Is that all right? 
You know, Josh doesn't have people coming up to him all the time that just saying, tell me the gospel. Just tell me the gospel. Who works in the oil rigs? That's not a common question. Want to hear the gospel. Do you know what, you know what people do ask Josh? And I've talked to Josh. This is, this is something that has just worked real well for him. You, I mean, you just do what God tells you to do. But you know the great Canadian greeting is, how are you? We say that all the time. We say, hey, how are you? And we're surprised when they give us an answer other than good. We're a little, we feel a little awkward about it. Like they say, no, it's so good. And we're like, oh. We're just instantly regretting asking the question. That was supposed to be a two-second response. Oh. You know if you ever felt that way? You're not supposed to admit that you felt that way, but okay. So they asked Josh, how are you? And if Josh is telling me the truth, which I believe he is, he responds back with, do you really want to know? Well, who can say no to that, right? Do you really want to know? Yeah, I want to know. No, do you really want to know? Well, yeah. Well, they've just opened a door for him to tell him how good he's doing. I mean, how, how his life has changed, where his life was and where it is now. Tony's told me the same thing. So, I mean, these guys aren't just waiting for somebody to fall at their feet and go, what must I do to be saved? But they're taking the opportunities that are given them. But you know, it's not always just trying to get somebody to pray a prayer. Sometimes it's just communicating the love of God. It's just saying, I'm just being an instrument for what God wants to say to them or what God wants to do through you. Because remember, he talks about two things here. He says, first of all, conduct yourself. That means how you walk, how you act. That's the first sermon you're going to preach, and it's probably the last one, is how you live. Conduct yourselves in this way, and then speak this way. And those two go hand in hand. When you live this way and you talk this way, there's a beautiful harmony because they make sense together. When people see you living this way and talking this way and they don't match, they don't buy it. When you let the Spirit of God work in your life, work through your words, in every area, you just trust Him. Be amazed at the sermons you'll preach. You may never think you're the kind of person to get on a stage and talk to a bunch of people. You may never be the kind of person who can spend an hour talking. But you'll preach more sermons than many of those that go on evangelistic tours. You'll preach more sermons than most pastors if you just live your life to God as an instrument and a vessel of His love. Just say, I'm going to live this way. I'm going to talk this way. I'm going to make the most of every opportunity. God, I pray that you'd open a door for me so that I could communicate this clearly. You know, clearly does not always mean it has to be super deep. Just clear. Clearly. Communicate a mystery. Do you know you can't communicate a mystery unless the Holy Spirit's involved because he's the revealer of mysteries. If the Holy Spirit's not involved, it will remain a mystery. But if you let God into the conversation, eyes are opened. Mysteries are revealed. Things are uncovered. Have you ever had those moments where you go, Oh, we were talking about this in Loon Lake. Have you ever had those moments where something finally just clicked and you got it, you finally got it? And it could have been something so simple as Jesus loves you. Do you remember the moment, and you probably grew up hearing that or people told you that Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, but do you remember the moment you really got it? That was the revelation that God gave you. Finally, it was uncovered. He loves me. I talk about this a lot, but I remember going to Sylvan Lake with my friend Brent, 
And when we were teenagers, Brent and I were just the fanatics that were crazy enough to just be crazy. And uh, I know that makes sense, right? And so we were driving to Sylvan Lake, and I remember being so calm and peaceful at the time. And it was calm and peaceful outside, it was calm and peaceful inside. Enjoying the trip, enjoying the scenery. When all of a sudden, crazy Brent, out of nowhere, grabs my arm in a very sudden fashion. Says, the word, man, the word! He just grabbed my arm like this, and it was like the most frightening thing <laughs> in the middle of a, a calm trip. But he just goes, the word, man the word. Well, that sounds absolutely insane to anybody else, but you know those moments where a guy like that's just thinking, the word of God, the word made flesh. God speaks to us. The word. And you know, all of a sudden it became so real, he had to just grab somebody and shout about it. Well, we've all had those moments, right? That's where something was partially a little bit blurry, a little bit covered, a little bit couldn't really grasp it, but God came along and lifted the cover off and opened your eyes, and you got it. You finally got it, and now that great revealer of mysteries has said, I want you to communicate the mystery, and I'm going to open doors for you that no man can shut, and there are doors where you'll say what I tell you to say. There are doors where you'll, you'll uncover what I've meant for you to uncover. Make the most of that you stand with me? We're going to pray something right now. We're just going to pray that God would use you in whatever way he wants to use you. Now, you're not obligated to agree with this. I would recommend that you do. But if you want that, I want you to just do what the Apostle Paul did. Just pray. Ask God for this because God is the revealer of mysteries. And, you know, there are opportunities all over the place, but sometimes we just don't see them, and sometimes we, we wouldn't know what to do if we did see them. You may think, I'm not a greatest communicator. I just don't know how to tell people about the hope that I have inside. I don't know how to tell people about this good news. I don't know how to love in the same way that Jesus loved. I don't know how to show what I feel inside, but God does, and His Spirit does.